Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you for worship today. Hello to all of you who are worshiping online from many different locations. Uh, And I do applaud you for being here today in this cold weather, uh, greeting at the front doors. I had no idea that so many of you could run so fast. Uh, And some of you look kind of funny doing it, but you made it. A couple of things. One, you just heard my wonderful bride talk about hitting the one million mark of giving and pledges combined. Uh, And she mentioned that, you know, soon after starting the campaign, the economy got a little squirrely on us and we were a little nervous. Boy, has God worked on my prayer life through a capital campaign. I'm so proud of you. Uh, I'm beyond proud of you as a church for stepping up and pursuing this vision of being debt free together, but also making a significant financial investment in the Bixby Outreach Center and Mission of Hope, Haiti. Um, So proud. Quick announcement also, um, on March 18th through the 22nd, speaking of Mission of Hope, um, they've acquired a new property in the Dominican Republic, um, and it's a former international trade school with a lot of buildings, a lot of facilities that need a lot of work, and they reached out to us as a strategic partnering church and asked if we would be able to send a team of men to help uh, with some construction needs. And it's, it's, it's men only. Ladies, I know that you are more talented than us. So we're not excluding you. This is just what they've asked. And part of that is because of sleeping arrangements and, uh, and, and what they can provide for our group. So if that interests you, um, Sweetie, can I go? I'm going. Pastor Dave Brown is going, who's extremely handy. Um, And you don't really have to have construction experience. If you do, that's great. Uh, If you don't, there's going to be a demo team as well, which I will be leading. Uh, But the the good news is all you have to cover is your flight. And obviously, make sure you have a passport and a couple of meals and transit, but would love to have you join this trip. If that interests you, reach out to Amy Senea, our servant outreach director, and she'll tell you more. Um, We're continuing our series, Asking for a Friend, and so far we've explored the following questions. Why does God allow suffering, loss, and pain? What does it really mean to have faith in God? And how do I live a pure lifestyle in an impure culture? Today, the question before us is as follows. Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? I'm excited to preach this sermon. I will tell you, and no offense, I'm telling, this, telling you this to motivate you. This is not condemning, this is motivating. The 930 service talks back to me better than you do. I'm just presenting another opportunity for you to Level that out a little bit. So somebody talk back to me today. Is Jesus really the only way to heaven is our question. A few of us, somebody just said yes, good. That's, that's a great time to talk back, good. 
Um, a few of us were out of town all week for our denomination's uh, annual midwinter conference. It was a wonderful time. Worship was refreshing. Messages were inspiring. We got to hear from many of our denominational leaders, reconnect with a network of ministers from around the country. Uh, got to have lunch with Bob Anderson with the Paul Carlson Foundation doing work in the, the DR Congo, where I don't know if you know this, the Covenant Church has 2,100 churches in the DR Congo with over a million people in attendance. It's one of the biggest churches in the world. And it's a part of our network. Got to meet with Bob and talk about what God is doing in the Congo. The following day, met with Dave Kirsten. Uh, hopefully you were here a few months ago when he preached on the history and identity of the covenant. Uh, but he's also an ambassador for the SRA, the School of Restorative Arts. Uh, the seminary that, that partners with our denomination is leading in our nation right now in this new venture of educating incarcerated students. And if you don't know this, you should know this because this is really cool. Um, Redeemer contributes financially to help incarcerated students achieve their goal of earning a master's degree. There are 31 graduates in this program and uh, got to learn a lot from Dave about how God is continuing to really bless this program. By the way, some of these um, graduates are now partnering Although still incarcerated, they're teaching courses. And that's restorative. Um, one night, our executive assistant, Jenna, while we were there, scheduled a surprise team building exercise. I don't like surprises. And when I found out what we were doing, <clears throat> I don't like that either. So I was grateful for her initiative, but then very vocal on the way there about how much I did not want to do an escape room. Who's done an escape room? A lot of you. So you know exactly what this is. If you are mildly claustrophobic like me, maybe you wouldn't be excited about it either. I start worrying about the size of the room. When we get there, I'm, I'm, I'm giving the staff, the personnel a really hard time. Of course, I confirm whether or not they're gonna lock the door or not. I said, if you lock it, I will kick it off the hinges. And she said, no, you can walk out anytime, but if you do walk out, you're out of the game. I said, fine, here I come right now. I'm not going in that room. It was really a great experience and uh, a lot of fun. If you haven't done it, you're, you're put in a room, you have one hour to, uh, to figure out all these riddles and puzzles as a team, and if you figure it out, uh, you get to exit the room. You win at one point. Pastor Leanne is reaching through a hole in a door with a cane, just trying to whack this button on a wall that somebody had a mirror through another hole in the wall telling her higher, lower, and she hit that button and that door flung open. She said, I'm the winner. It was just 12 minutes in. You know, we had like another 45 minutes to go. Look at this picture. A lot of things helped us get out of this escape room. Leanne's got a magnifying glass. I've got a chalice. Uh, Jenna's got an elephant tusk that she literally pulled out of an elephant. That's Melanie with a, a painting. Dave, that's Dave right there with a sports coat that was in the room when we got there and he put it on. Um, other things that helped us escape throughout this experience include 
a, a massive map, desk drawers that fly out of a desk, uh, secret door, mirrors, the game Scrabble, there was a laser, and many more. The escape room offers a great illustration for today's topic. This is church. So now we make the turn. Since the Garden of Eden, humanity has been trapped in a room called sin. Heaven is on the other side of the door, and everyone's always wondering, how can we get there? We see our problem called sin. Heaven is the aim. But how do we get through this door? How do we attain eternal life? Thus the question, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? World religions have blinded and misled billions of people to believe in the wrong key to the door. Examples include the eightfold path resulting in blissful spirituality called nirvana, understanding the universe, being one with nature, or having a full understanding of one's self, full knowledge of self, honoring our ancestors, respecting our elders, ridding oneself of bad karma, the effect of evil action or evil intent, personal liberation, martyrdom, enlightenment, meditation, marriage, and even giving birth to spirit children. After our death, reliance on the prayers of the living and their acts of mercy on our behalf, and lastly, certainly not least, receiving aid from supernatural immortals who reside on remote islands. This is what billions of people in our world believe today. Those may sound a little foreign to us, but even within the Christian faith, there is confusion. It began with keeping the law and being circumcised. Just go back and read about the council at Jerusalem and the great argument over what the Gentiles had to do to attain eternal life. Being a good person, otherwise known as obedience, it's a good thing, but it doesn't open the door to heaven. Baptism and communion, both holy sacraments, vitally important to the church and the life of a Christian, they don't open the door to heaven. Generosity and church attendance, both important, they don't open the door to heaven. Wisdom and knowledge of scriptures, vitally important to the follower of Christ, they don't open the door to heaven. Your parents' faith, your grandparents' faith, doesn't open the door to heaven. So back to today's question, is Jesus really, really the only way to heaven? The answer is yes. Yes! But not really the only way to heaven. Jesus is undeniably, unmistakably, totally, entirely, and absolutely the only way to heaven. Say that out loud with me like you mean it. Let's say it. Jesus is undeniable. Start over. Like you mean it. Some of you did good there. Act like the 930 crowd. Here we go. Jesus is undeniably, 
He makes this claim in John 14. I'll read verses one through seven. It'll be on the screens. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. As you reflect on this passage, as you picture this very moment, this beautiful moment that Jesus delivered these words, we have to think about the context. Now, the context does not change his claim of being the way and the truth and the life, but notice his claim appears not in a public square or in a debate in the synagogue or in an argument with his religious opposition. See, when we read John 14, 6, we kind of picture Jesus standing, right, on a hillside with thousands of listeners to say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, right? This very controversial claim, rubbing a lot of people wrong. But that's not where this was first delivered. He's in a private setting, an intimate gathering with his closest friends, with his disciples. And how were those disciples doing? How were those disciples feeling? Well, if you read the previous chapter, one of their very own had betrayed Jesus and left the group. Then Jesus explained to them after they've left everything to follow him, then he says, I'm leaving. <laughs> I mean, put yourself in their shoes. I'm sorry, what? You're le- Where are you going, right? Do you know how much I've left? Do you know what I've sacrificed? Like I left my family. I don't have a job anymore. I'm fully invested here. Where are you going? You're supposed to stay, right? We're on a mission. Also in the chapter before, he announces in front of the group that Peter would deny him three times. So I repeat the question, how do you think the disciples were doing? Probably fearful, confused, uncertain. How is all this going to end? And where are you going? Jesus claiming to be the way was first about the comfort and peace and assurance of his followers. Because when he said these words, I like to imagine they were in a pretty unstable place, probably a little panicked. So when he says, I'm the way, he's calming their chaos. How many of y'all have chaos in your life? Last week, right now? or you just kind of think it's coming. This calming claim, I am the way, was not only something that calmed the chaos emotionally and spiritually for his disciples as this scene unfolded, it's a gift to the chaos in your life today. Let it calm you. Let it bring you peace 
in the midst of panic. See, this whole conversation started with him saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. What a great thing to hear from Jesus. Don't let your hearts be troubled. For Jesus to claim to be the way brings comfort to our chaos today. The ultimate goal, as you read this passage, the ultimate goal of this wondrous way of Jesus is what? The Father. The Father's house. Soon after this scene in Scripture, Jesus would return to the right hand of God. He has prepared a place for you there. He has prepared a place for us there. And there are many reasons that he spoke John 14, 6, but one reason, I think, is that he knew his disciples then and now would be anxious about finding the way to the Father's house, right? I mean, this is still a concept. I don't care how deep of a theologian you think you are. It's still a concept that we struggle to wrap our minds around, right? He prepared a place for me there. He is the way there. But because I'm human, when I hear the way, what do I instinctively think about? I need directions. You talk to me about the way somewhere, I need a list of steps. I need directions to get there. When we hear directions in our our mental capacity, we need a map, right? So I found this map for us. It's from Redeemer Church, and for the sake of relevance to the sermon, it's to a ski resort outside of Tahoe called Heavenly, okay? Just, Just for the sake of this illustration. Maybe heaven will look a little like Lake Tahoe, I don't know. But this is how we process directions in our, in our thinking. We calculate the fastest route. This says this is the fastest route. We plan for tolls. It says tolls are required. How many of y'all actually still carry quarters on road trips? <laughs> how, how many of y'all run right through it and wait for the bill in the mail? Yeah, God, God sees that. We plan our overnight stay. We could stay in Albuquerque, possibly a second night in Las Vegas. Many Christians have testimonies on their way to heavenly. They have a few bad nights in Vegas, right? I worked hard on that one. But, but, but you see this, maps, maps make us comfortable. Maps make us confident. We know where we're going. We have a plan on how to get there. We know the route and we can even track our progress. John 14, six, Jesus is insisting we do not have to map out our way to heaven. You don't need to plan your route. That's the problem with our thinking. We're looking for routes and he's saying he is the way. You don't even have to pay tolls to get there. He paid for that too. The way to the Father's house is through Jesus. He's promised there's a place where we can rest and rejoice in God and be totally satisfied in him. But we can never find it on our own. Try and you're gonna wear yourself out. Heaven can only be experienced through salvation in Christ Jesus. Let me take a moment and point something else out. When Jesus said, I am the way, 
He was not saying, don't try other ways. Sometimes we think that. He says, I'm the way, and it's as if he's saying, don't waste your time with the other ways. He's actually saying there is no other way. I'm not a way or one of the ways. I'm the way, and there's no other way. Because no one else came for us. No one else came to solve this sin problem. No one else loves us like Jesus. Also, Jesus, we know, is the King of kings and Lord of lords, right? But it's a capital king and a lowercase king and a capital Lord and a lowercase Lord. The King of kings means that he is the supreme ruler over all other rulers because rulers existed and they still exist today. The Lord of Lords, it means that he's the supreme master over all other masters because other masters did exist and masters still exist today. So it's okay to say he's the king of all kings because there are kings. It's okay to say he's the Lord of all lords because there are lords, there are rulers and masters in this world. But John 14, six, Jesus is preaching something very different. And we have to remember this. When he refers to himself as the way, he is not saying that he's the supreme savior over all other saviors. Listen to me, there is no other savior. There might be other lords, there might be other kings, there's no other savior. Jesus Christ alone is savior. He's not a way, he's not a truth, and he's not a form of life. He said the exclusively the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only one that can save. I got two more pages. Do you want them? Okay. This claim of Jesus, it is controversial in a pluralistic society and in a world of spiritual tolerance. Is it fair to say that we live in a world of spiritual tolerance, a world that takes the liberty to bend doctrine? It was just as controversial in the Apostle Peter's time when he boldly declared this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. There is only one name by which 17,428 people groups must be saved, 7.8 billion people. According to an organization called the Joshua Project, 3.37 billion people live in unreached people groups with no access to the gospel. It's over 7,400 people groups. It's 42% of the world's population. The majority of unreached people live in something that's called the 1040 window where less than 10% of missionary work is done. This is why so many people have twisted and manipulated doctrine. And although they're wrong, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they do so because they can't bear the thought of people going to hell. Many people believe that eternity with God is like a mountain with numerous paths that reach the top. I confess to you today 
that I wish, don't misquote me here, I didn't say I believe, I wish that eternity with God was like a mountain with numerous paths to the top. I wish that because I wish everyone in the world was saved. But part of becoming a Christian is also crucifying your own ideology. And although I wish all could be saved, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that there's one way and his name is Jesus. So, let it be known, eternity with God is not like a mountain with numerous paths to the top. In the same way I can't pick up a telephone and dial millions of different phone numbers and they all call home. There's just one, one way, his name is Jesus. The problem of the entire human race, every nation and tribe and language, we're all alienated from God. Jesus is the answer to that problem. So I'm going to conclude with two pastoral exhortations. Number one, be thankful that there is a name. Because God didn't have to come rescue us. We got to be thankful that there's a name to begin with through which we can be saved. One author writes this, we ought to walk east of Eden with no promise of a coming son. We ought to toil under Pharaoh with no outstretched arm to rescue us. We ought to tremble before Goliath with no David to sling his stones. We ought to hang our harps in Babylon with no hope of a future song. He's right. We ought to, but we don't have to. There is a name that pierces through our darkness. There is a name that redeems and rescues. There's a name above every other name that will cause every knee to bow in heaven and on earth. Philippians 2.10. His name is Yeshua. It's a word combination of Yah, the abbreviation for Yahweh, and the verb Yasha, meaning to rescue, to deliver, to save. So translate that from Hebrew to Greek, Jesus, Jesus, meaning the Lord is salvation. We need to be thankful that there's a name to begin with. Number two, be a good steward of that name. I've met many people around the world who first experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ through a divine dream. But in most cases, this is a word of mouth mission that we're on, and we have the privilege, the assignment, the instruction, and also the privilege to contribute to the prophetic promises of Psalm 113.3 and Malachi 1.11. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. From the eastern sunrise to the western sunset, from Mozambique to New Zealand, China to Germany, Canada to Venezuela, to the dark streets and dark corners of our city of Tulsa. His name will be great, his name will be praised, and God has made us the stewards of his name. What a phenomenal privilege to be trusted with such a name. So here's a gentle nudge, and then I'm done. Get over the fact that you might be rejected. Just get over it. 
I'd bet you breakfast tomorrow that half the men in this room have been rejected by a lady. Some of us multiple times. Rejection's just a part of this life. Um, If you steward the name of Jesus well, you will be rejected. You will be. He told his disciples, the world's gonna hate you. Many years ago when I was involved with the University of Oklahoma football team, was in the locker room multiple times each week, and uh, one of the young men, a captain of the team who I knew very well, came up to me and he said, Adam, I like you. I like you in the locker room. Don't you ever talk to me about Jesus. And I said, okay. I respected what he said and just continued to love him. So he was seeing Jesus. He just didn't know it yet. I didn't really enjoy that rejection. And it's quite scary hearing it from such a man. But I'll take that any day over Jesus Christ ever looking at me and saying, Adam, why did you not tell people about me? Why did you not bring up my name? That I'm not sure I could bear. My time's up. Let's be thankful that there is a name. Let's steward that name well. Can we do that? Come on, can we do that? Let's worship together. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.